I was actually going to do a video on sleep. Well, I started it yesterday and I just could not focus at all. So I wanted to do it today, but then I just got a message from an old friend uh, that was talking about Ritalin and that sort of motivated me to go off and talk about Ritalin. Right. I have a lot of things to say about Ritalin because this is one of the points that is very, very widely discussed and people have the strongest opinions on. So, you know, we could start with the whole, um, yeah, let's start with the whole overdrugging our children debate. So the thing about Ritalin and why it scares a lot of people and parents and teachers and whoever is because the molecular structure is kind of close to cocaine or speed. Something that we learned in chemistry, which sort of changed my whole view on this whole debate. When I first heard this story, this was quite a while ago. This was in high school. So like, what, eight years ago now? Um, so yeah, I'm not 100% sure on all the details, but the message is the same. So I think it was a skiing athlete that got a drug test and tested positive, even though he didn't take drugs. So basically what they found out was the reason why he tested positive was because beforehand he used a nasal spray and molecules have like mirror molecules as well. So they realize that there's a difference between sort of left facing molecules and right facing molecules. So depending on if it's sort of flipped this way or the other way around, it can have a completely different effect. And that's when they realized that drug tests weren't specific enough. They were just testing for the overall molecular pattern. I'm not 100% sure on all the sciencey bits on this, but basically the statement is a molecule can be very, very similar to another one, but have a completely different effect. So this kind of also goes for Ritalin and cocaine and speed. And I used to say this for the longest time before I might have tried some of these substances myself, just like you know, tiny little bit. Not, I'm not telling anyone to go take drugs don't take drugs, they're bad for you. But what I realized is I'm not feeling an effect. And that's because my brain works differently. I'm not sure if I can say this online. <laughs> um, basically when he was younger and he went out to the club with his friends, uh, everyone started taking speed and so did he. And all of his friends were like, woo on speed and whatever. I don't know how, I don't know if they go woo. I don't know how people act on speed. I've not really, I've not tried speed myself and I've, I don't think I've seen anyone else be on speed. I've seen people on cocaine because, you know, I lived in the UK. Of course, I've seen people on cocaine. So anyway, all of his friends were on speed going crazy and he could just concentrate really well. He just, for the first time, felt normal. So the way how the chemicals work in, because I mean, you know, everything has a different effect on each individual person. So it's no surprise that a drug would have a different different reaction in certain people. That's why doctors are always very careful when giving people medication because they never know how they're going to react. Point being, if you have ADHD, I'm not sure about if this is a fact that if you have ADHD and you take cocaine or speed, that it will have the same effect as Ritalin. But basically, if you take Ritalin when you have ADHD, it makes you feel more normal. Whereas if you don't have ADHD and you take Ritalin, that's when you're going to feel like you're on drugs. You kind of feel like, 
I mean, a lot of people who don't have ADHD take it to concentrate better, although I'm guessing that probably a percentage of those people also have ADHD and they get it from the black market so that they can concentrate better without realizing that actually they would probably need it because they probably have ADHD. But the people who don't have ADHD and take it, for example, my mum, when I was a kid and first started taking Ritalin, uh, she tried it out. It was a very low dose. It was like five milligrams of like pure Ritalin because she wanted to try out what is my kid taking? And she felt really weirdly anxious and shaky throughout that experiment. And honestly, I think one of the best tests to see if you do have ADHD or not is to just try it. I mean, right, I'm not telling you to go off to the black market and get Ritalin. I am not telling you that. But I think going ahead and just trying to take a very small dose prescribed from your doctor or psychiatrist will tell you if it's going to work for you or not. But a lot of people are too scared to even try. They're like, oh, but I've heard of such bad experiences with people and this and that. To be honest, I haven't. I Most people that I talk to about Ritalin who have actually tried it for a longer period of time have had good experiences. And the ones that have bad experiences, it's nothing terrible that happens to them. If at all, they just feel like, oh, it's, I kind of don't feel like myself. I kind of feel like my creativity is suffering a little bit. But yeah, and some people, it can also cause depression and anxiety. Not cause it. It's not like it will give you depression and then you'll never be happy again. That's not how it works. But it can feel a bit like depression or anxiety. Um, I often feel like I, I get a bit of anxiety because it's a stimulant and it increases your heart rate. And if your heart is racing, that kind of feels like anxiety. So this is also an interesting point is that before, like I've been doing research on ADHD for a few years now, but every now and again, I will learn new pieces of information. So even just a few years back when I was living in Scotland, that's when it sort of clicked for me because basically every morning I would feel like I get up, take my medication, whatever, do my thing. And then about like 20 to 30 minutes later, I would start feeling really anxious and I'd feel like I need a cigarette because I thought that was my body craving nicotine or something or me just being anxious about the day. When in fact, I at some point realized, looked at my watch and thought, huh, this is starting 20 minutes after I take Ritalin. And also usually I took the pill with like an energy drink or something, which makes it even worse. And then cigarettes also increase your heart rate, or at least it does for me. So it makes it even worse. Not ideal. And, but that's when I realized, oh, this is linked to that. So it was a lot easier for me to separate. Is this anxiety? Is this a nicotine craving? Or is this just the Ritalin causing my heart rate to go up? Now, I want to talk a little bit about heart rate and Ritalin. I think I also have something called POTS, which I think is more common than people think in people with ADHD. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And basically what that is, is if you feel faint really quickly, like as a kid, I would faint the whole time. People thought I was faking it. People thought I was doing it to get out of school or whatever. Um, I wasn't, of course not. But basically often when I stand, even when I just stand for long periods of time, I'll, I'll suddenly start feeling dizzy, especially if I just lie in bed and then get up. And then I feel like, ooh, I need to sit down again because I'm feeling really dizzy. 
What that is, is that postural orthostatic means you are shifting your position, as in going from lying to standing position. Tachycardia means heart rhythm and syndrome syndrome. What the doctor described is she sort of confirmed that I have something in that direction. It's sort of hard to test and it's sort of unnecessary to test because the things that you want to do to prevent it are the same either way, like might as well. Basically what happens is you have your veins, when you stand up, they usually contract and they shoot the blood up your body so that the blood gets circulated through your body properly. Um, what happens with POTS though is that it doesn't constrict. That means all the blood when you stand up is just sort of more to the lower half of your body. That means your brain isn't getting enough blood and that means that you start feeling faint and dizzy. So if you have this as well, a few tricks. I'm not an expert on this yet. Who knows? I'm going to do more research. But the things that the doctor told me to do for this is drink a lot of water. For ADHD, I really recommend getting one of these bottles. Having a bottle with you at all times that you can just carry around like a little puppy means that you're more likely to drink because you'll see it. It will remind you. The other thing that makes this really handy is that it has a straw. So even if when I'm lying in bed, it doesn't matter how I hold it and I can just... Super simple. I don't have to open it up, take a sip. I'm just... Drinking a lot of water. So really try and get two liters. I don't, I don't count how much water I drink. I just keep filling it up and I make sure that I fill it up twice a day at least. Especially when I'm working because I used to be in the habit, like, because ADHD always needs a lot of stimulation, our brains need a lot of stimulation to work. What I do is I would drink a lot of alcohol, for example, like towards the evening, I would start drinking a beer or whatever, and I would just passively be drinking beer, smoking my vape, and just do that on autopilot so that I would get the stimulation. But what I've tried to do is I'll still, every now and again, I've, I've reduced my alcohol intake quite a lot, but what I'll try to do is to have the water bottle next to me so I can just constantly take a sip. Uh, drinking lots of water helps with POTS. Um, exercising, even though exercising feels so unbearable if you have POTS, because I always get dizzy. I feel faint. I feel like my chest hurts because my heart is just like, the fuck are you doing? Um, I really enjoy going to the sauna, although going to the sauna with POTS can make you more lightheaded. So please be careful if you're starting out. I've been going to the saunas all my life so I can handle it and I've been training myself. I can pretty easily go for like 14, 15 minutes and in like the hottest sauna here, it's like 80 degrees Celsius is sort of standard in Switzerland and in Germany. Um, but yeah, go slowly, like don't overdo it. Sauna in general is just great for so many things. But yeah, that I feel like is also helping the whole sort of circulation, everything. You can also get compression tights. I actually have a prescription from my doctor, but of course I've still not picked it up yet because I've been procrastinating. I, as soon as I got the prescription, I tried once, but then they were like, oh yeah, but it's like 12, you should come in the morning because then your legs are not swollen. I'm like, dude, I literally got up an hour ago. I'm, <laughs> this is morning for me. Um, but I've still not gotten them, so I can't really say how, how well they work. Anyway, how did I get into POTS? Right, the story with my heart. 
beyond just pots, this is a relatively new discovery of mine. Um, but before that, what happened, it was roughly 2018, 2019, when I was part of a study, uh, it's called Ted Prozo, that they've been doing with us since we were kids. They sort of selected a random group of children, I think in the whole canton of Zurich, or I, I'm not quite sure actually. And they've been giving us questionnaires every few years and it's great. I'm so happy to be able to be part of a study that is so long running because I love science. I find it fascinating. They also pay you quite well, so that's nice. They did a sister study. Uh, no, in German it's called a Tochterstudie. I'm not sure what it's called in English, but like a related study from like a similar group of people or like that are adjacent in the uni. They were doing a study on if you can detect bullying in the blood, like if it actually leaves a trace in your blood so fascinating and I was like yes please take take all the blood you need I want to know this <laughs> so they put an ECG on me and what happened was they took the blood and I started to feel a little bit faint and I'm always like trying to tough it out I'm like oh no like telling trying to manipulate my brain I'm like oh no I'm I'm doing totally fine like this is okay this is totally normal and then just sort of relaxed a little bit too much so my heart was just like let's just everyone just let go and do nothing. And then I fainted. <laughs> they were trying to like put my arms over my head so that the blood would like rush to my head. And about 30 seconds later, I opened my eyes and there's like three heads staring at me. That's a picture I saw quite a lot as a kid. I would just like suddenly open my eyes and there'd be all the heads like, uh, <laughs> you okay? And then they were looking at the ECG and then they realized, wait, your heart rate isn't normalizing as it should. And they kept telling me, like, your heart is not normal, like, something is up here, this is not right. Scaring me more and more, this was just before, so that it was a three-part study. The first one was taking blood with the ECG on. The second one was basically showing me images of different people with different facial expressions, like ac actors, I suppose, just being like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, very generic stock photo images of people with different emotions and then every now and again they would play a really loud sound which was like I want to say like 105 decibel or something like that which is really high they made sure it was really high but not so high that it would damage my ears I'm not sure if on that exact number if in the comments he was saying oh my god 105 decibel would smash your ears then then I'm probably wrong. Basically, it felt like a punch. Like every time I heard that loud noise, because also people with ADHD tend to be more sensitive when it comes to loud noises or any kind of sensory discomfort, like really bright lights or stuff like that makes us feel really ugh. And it was really triggering me. Basically what they were doing was they were tracking my eyes. They had a camera like basically like this and imagine there's yeah, like this is where the pictures were and they were watching my eyeballs, what they would do and of course track on the ECG what would happen. And I started crying. Like I didn't feel attacked. Obviously I was not scared of those stock images going, mm. I was crying because there was just so much going on and the loud noise and they're telling me there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your heart. And then I proceeded to spend the next hour in an MRI machine where I was playing this kind of game, this I had like two little switchy thingies in my hands and it was a sort of um, 
it was a money gambling type game and it was scanning my brain. So it wanted to see what kind of brain activity goes on depending on like how we make decisions based on what we learned before. I can't remember exactly how the game worked, but anyway, I felt pretty damn vulnerable after that whole session. They were looking at the ECG. They kept coming back to me and saying like, oh, this is really not normal. You should go get this checked out. So already I'm like, okay, I'm going to die in three years. Of course I didn't. This is, <laughs> um, but I got really scared and I made an appointment with a doctor. I think it was a few days later that they called me and they said, hey, just wanted to check in. We checked the ECG again and we noticed that your heart actually stopped for like 20 seconds. It's, that's not supposed to happen. So please go get it checked out. I later on had my ECG record looked at by my stepsister-in-law, who's a doctor. And she said, no, no, it's not, that's not 20 seconds, it's about seven seconds, but still seven seconds is a long time. When they are working in ER, in the emergency room, and someone's heart stops for four seconds, they start to panic. So seven seconds is quite a long time. I did go to the doctor, I got a whole heart scan, and I wore a 24-hour ECG, or like a 48-hour, like a two-day, two days I was hooked up to a machine. Maybe I'll still have a photo. If I do, I'll place it here so you can see the magicalness of... Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. When I went to the doctor, I told him, hey, I've actually sort of struggled with my heart rate quite a lot. I often feel my heart racing and it just somehow doesn't feel normal. And quite often either I'd be on a night out or I'd just be lying in bed and I'd look at my Fitbit watch. And like right now, for example, my heart rate is at 107 which it shouldn't be. In resting position, it should be more around like 80 or 90. So over 100 is, it's not bad, but it's also not normal. But then sometimes I would literally just be lying down or I'd be on a night out just talking and my pulse would be at like 120 up to 140 sometimes without doing any physical exercise. So I'm like, yeah, this, this is not quite normal. What he told me is that I'm young, it's nothing dangerous, it's basically, it was a vagal reaction. So basically when I was just relaxing, I relaxed a little bit too much. When my heart realized that it actually had stopped, it basically went in overdrive mode of like, oh my god, come on guys, we need to get this going, we need to start getting everything to work again and all the little people, the little things in my heart were like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, we need to keep Sophia alive. And they start running around and they just like, they don't, they're just focused on pumping and doing their thing, but it's like, everyone's running around, mayhem, mayhem, like, ah. <laughs> and then it's just like, you know, if you if you shout fire into a room, everyone's gonna run in different directions and everything's, probably something's gonna break. So that's kind of what happened to my heart. That's not abnormal, <laughs> necessarily. It's not normal, but it's not dangerous. And the tricks that he gave me to do whenever I feel faint or I feel like something's not working properly is number one, press my lips together or like press, like make a fist and just like somehow do something that's pressing or like press your legs t together quite hard to just sort of get the blood flowing again. Um, you can also cough. <laughs> that sort of... <laughs> 
is like a, a restart button for your heart. It's just like a little shift recalibration technique. I feel like there are more techniques. Um, I think he also said something along the lines of doing exercise is good. Oh no, I think I asked him like, so I bet you're going to recommend doing exercise and drinking water. And he's like, yeah, I mean, can't hurt, right? I don't think he at any point mentioned Ritalin. So fast forward one or two years later, I go to Scotland. This is also 2020. So midst lockdown, people everything's kind of in like survival mode. So they did give me Ritalin for the longest time. And then it was about maybe one or two years later when they were finally like, oh wait, actually we kind of need to refer you on to our psychiatric department and do some tests so we know that it's actually safe to still give that to you. So I did that. I went and had an ECG. I think I was also really hungover when I took the test, like really hungover. <laughs> and of course, when you're hungover, you might've realized, I'm not sure if this is just me or if this is a POTS heart thing or a Ritalin thing or whatever, but when I'm hungover, my heart feels like it's trying to pump slush through my veins. It's It feels like it's having a really hard time. It's I can feel it really strongly, even though it's quite slow, but it's just like, I can feel it working really hard. So yeah, that probably wasn't ideal. I do think I told them though, I was like, hey, just so you know, this might be an influencing factor. And it took them months and months and months to get back to me. And finally they were like, oh, something doesn't look quite right. You might need to do another test. And then I was like, okay, well, just so you know, I've already had quite an extensive heart exam in Switzerland. I can send you the records if you want. And they were like, sure, just send everything over that you have. So I did just that. I sent them the records from the University of Zurich, um, the Universitätsspital Zürich, and I can't remember how long it took after that, but it was probably a few weeks when my psychiatrist called and said, hey, so it looks like you have a heart disorder. It looks like you have a heart arrhythmia called SVT, superventricular tachycardia. And I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna die <laughs> for the second time. Um, this was also, I think she called me, I was at the airport and there was this other really distressing message that I got from one of my classmates that I was already freaking out about. And then my psychiatrist calls me and is like, so your heart isn't normal. Ah, uh, not fun. Oh no, yeah, so she was saying that I have an SVT, so that's why they can't give me Ritalin anymore. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I've been taking this all of my life. My heart is fine. I know that it goes a little bit crazy sometimes. I think at that point I already realized that Ritalin was affecting my heart, but basically because it's the NHS, they don't want to take any risks, kind of like in America, I think they just don't want to get sued or whatever, or they just, they're so cautious about everything. Whereas in Switzerland, what I kind of love about Switzerland is that they just, they kind of just use common sense. They don't, they're not too black and white. They're, they're very black and white in certain aspects, but then when it comes to medical things, they're like, look, just being honest with you, this is the information, do with it what you want, this is what we recommend and kind of like 
you know, they're, they're just very straightforward and honest to just make it appropriate to everyone's situation, which I think is great. Anyway, in Scotland, probably going through the worst time of my life mentally, going through so much like re-traumatization, being in a toxic relationship, feeling like I'm losing all senses of the world. I'll, I'll tell you that story another time. Um, when I would need Ritalin the most in my final year of uni, they decide to take Ritalin away from me. And they're like, it's okay, we can we can try and find a different medication for you that might work, that doesn't affect your heart. What we assumed gave me the SVT was the Ritalin in the first place. So basically it was the fact that I've taken it all my life and that's that's normal, that's nothing dangerous and it's nothing that can't stabilize itself. So basically what happened afterwards is I stopped taking Ritalin for about six months. I think it was November 2022 and I did feel like my heart was doing fine again. So it was absolutely the Ritalin and that doesn't mean taking Ritalin is bad for your heart. It just means that it affects it. There are so many other things that are bad for your heart that you wouldn't think twice about doing. Like even just sleeping too much can be bad for your heart. Um, eating fatty meats like bacon, like there's so much that's bad for your heart. So. I wait for months and months and months. They never get back to me. Basically, I left the country before they could come to a conclusion. The only thing that they did do, and oh, this is also so annoying, is I kept telling them because I started having really bad panic attacks and everything. And I, I kept telling them, please, I need anti-anxiety medication. What they heard was, please, I need benzos. What I was trying to say is, please give me sertraline, which is an antidepressant, but it also works for anxiety. So I'm like, please just give me something against the anxiety. They were like, oh, we can't do that. Like, usually that's only doctors who do that. And that's only in like extreme cases. And I'm like, I'm literally having five panic attacks a day. The world is crumbling around me. Please just give me some drug to get me through the days. Until like, I think it was again, another few weeks later where I'm like, but what about sertraline? I've looked it up, I've done all my research. Sertraline is the best antidepressant for patients with a heart disorder. Um, in general, sertraline is sort of the preferred antidepressants, at least according to my research. And I explained everything like, yeah, sertraline this, sertraline that. And they were like, oh yeah, you're right. We could, we could try a low dose of an antidepressant. And I'm like, thank fuck. Um, which is ironic because in the last video I told you about the head of psychiatric person that was then talking to me and she was like, oh yeah, so, you know, we gave you sertraline because antidepressants also work as an anti-anxiety medication. So we thought that would be a really good choice for you. Like it was their idea. It was not their idea. It was my idea. And I had to beg them. I did all of the research and they were like, look at us having the good ideas, giving you sertraline and look how much it's helped you. <sighs> Doctors. So fast forward, I'm back in Switzerland and I'm like, yeah, I should really get my heart checked out because if I have this SVT, which is not dangerous, but I should sort of you know, just get it checked out again. They do a heart check. It's like I have my breasts out and she's like pushing a, an ultrasound thing around my bosom and stuff and then she's like oh so like why why are you here and I'm like oh you know because I have SVT and I just thought it would be good to check it out and she was like SVT and I'm like yeah superventricular tachycardia she was like you don't have an SVT we can't see anything here 
And I'm like, but but how is that possible? Turns out the doctors in Scotland read the diagram wrong. They <laughs> took the Swiss diagram and because, I don't know if it's different from other countries or other hospitals, but somehow the way how it was laid out was they had the diagram and then at the end of the diagram they'd have like a a sort of magnifying thing and like oh this is interesting or look at that like to sort of point out a specific part but they might have read it as like one consecutive thing or they might have looked at my ECG diagram of when I fainted and my heart stopped and then my heart was going crazy. I gave them all the information, I wrote it down, but because of calls in Scotland, because of the NHS, which is a wonderful thing, but also really, really badly run, the information just didn't get passed on. So they falsely diagnosed me with a heart condition. And when I was back in Switzerland, they were like, yeah, you are absolutely fine. Like, yeah, the vagal thing a little bit, but we can't see a reason why you shouldn't be able to start Ritalin again. <sighs> so finally. So I realized after a while that a lot of the side effects that I was having when I was a teenager, I was already noticing all these things. Yeah, no, I think I already talked about it when I went to Scotland. Um, so all these side effects, like my hands getting sort of like my hands and feet sort of were getting cold every now and again and they would always fall asleep. Like when I was, when I'd wake up in the morning or during the night, I would just have like a really floppy arm because it would keep going to sleep. Um, as in like, you know, you get pins and needles and stuff. Um, or other things connected to my heart or getting headaches or like there were just certain side effects that I was getting from the Medikinet 20 milligram. I used to during high school, I took 40 milligrams and then I went down to 20 when I was an adult because I felt like I didn't, like 30 to 20, I sort of was playing around with it because I did want to sort of have a little bit more of that crazy spontaneity back. I don't feel like it ever changed my personality and I'll get to that in a second, but so I went down to 20 and I told a friend that I was getting a lot of side effects from the Medicinet and she was like, oh, I'm not getting any of these side effects. And she takes Concerta. So when I got the go-ahead again to start Ritalin, I thought I would try Concerta. And they started me with 18 milligrams, which is relatively low. It's sort of comparable with, I think, like 10 milligrams of Ritalin. Not 100% sure. Um, and then upped my dose to 27 milligrams, 28 milligrams of Concerta, which is like, I want to say 20 milligrams of Ritalin. And that's been working really well. I've not been having as many heart issues. Yeah, I still sometimes get heart palpitations, but it's not, it's not that intense. I sort of wish that I tried Concerta sooner because I'm really happy with my dose now. So much to my backstory with Ritalin so much to me and my story with Ritalin. Um, well, actually, let's go back a little bit. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was about eight years old, and I started taking all different kinds of Ritalin. They, of course, started me off really low. Um, they would give me the pure type of Ritalin, and I'd have, I think, two times five milligrams, once in the morning and once in the afternoon, but I'd often forget to take the one in the afternoon because I wasn't at home or I didn't have a mum to remind me. I had like a little little pill box. Um, it was only then when I got older when they started giving me the slow release. I don't know why they didn't start me off with slow release, but I always took Ritalin pretty 
consistently. I think I even tried concerto at one point when I was a kid, but they kept switching it around so often to like try lots of different types to see what would work best for me that I never properly, I don't know, at the time concerto just didn't work properly for me. So eventually they land on Medicinet and um, that sort of worked for me for a few years well, many years. And I always took it consistently throughout the weekends, throughout the holidays, because there was every now and again, I would try out not taking it for a while just to see what I'd be like. And I remember this one very, very bad summer that I had, we went to France. And this was around when I was in middle school. So in Switzerland, it's called Zech, Sekundarschule. And I did not like my class at all. Well, not everyone, but I was bullied quite badly. I mean, I was bullied before, but it got really bad in middle school. And um, so already not great. And then a kid thought it would be a good idea to watch Streets of London. You know, before the holidays, your teacher brings out the TV and then everyone's like, yay. And then you can bring DVDs and everyone votes on what they want to watch. And of course, because they're all like tough kids from Love Uh Love Atur is a school that's sort of famous for all the sort of tougher kids to go to. You know, like the ones that didn't make it to high school, selling drugs, smoking really young, drinking alcohol and you know, with like 12, 13 year olds. I'm not sure if it's still the case, but at the time when I went there, it was kind of like that. I mean, they weren't as hardcore as they thought they were. They were just sort of, you know, trying cigarettes and it's like, yeah, dude, you're really hardcore. So this one kid brought Streets of London and it at least had an age rating of like 16 or 18 plus. I remember there being a lot of violence in it. It It's quite a dark film, trigger warning mention of suicide. So in the film, the scene that I remembered the most was this kid hanging himself. I was like 12 or even younger, like 11. And of course I knew what suicide was, but it wasn't present in my mind. And what I was experiencing at the time were intrusive thoughts. But at the time, even though I've been in therapy since I was eight years old, no one ever thought to tell me that these obsessive thoughts that I'm having that I can't get out of my mind and that are really physically hurting me and driving me crazy. And the more I try to not think about these thoughts, the more my brain would think about them were intrusive thoughts. It could be anything from something that's completely harmless to being afraid that I'm falling in love with someone that I'm not supposed to fall in love with. Like I was convinced I was falling in love with my middle-aged female teacher, which I mean, yeah, I'm bi, but At the time, I didn't realize that I was, and I was like, oh my God. And like, I wasn't attracted to her at all, but I was like, oh my God, how horrible would it be if I was in love with my teacher? I think we were once at the swimming pool and we were showering and she was in like her own little cubicle, but the curtain wasn't quite closed. So I think I like caught a glimpse of her breasts or something. And I'm like, oh my God, I saw her breasts. Now everything that I'm going to be able to think of for the next few months is seeing Frau Friedli's breasts. (laughs) And then I had this obsessive thing of like, whenever I'd speak to her, I'd be like, don't look at her breasts, don't look at her breasts, don't look at her breasts. If you're a guy watching this and you think you're the only one, you're not. Women also go through it, no matter of sexual preference or whatever. It's really hard not to look. I mean, breasts are beautiful. Anyway, getting off track. So it could be anything harmless like that to, oh my God, I didn't touch every pole while walking past them. That means that I'm never going to be loved in my life ever, or my whole family is going to die. You know, OCD. 
obsessive compulsive disorder, by the way. So these intrusive thoughts that I was having, I was talking about them in therapy, but no one ever told me that that's a thing. I only learned this like two or three years ago. Yeah, it was in uni. Um, one of my classmates was telling me, oh, you know what? I think I struggle with intrusive thoughts. And I'm like, what, what, what are intrusive thoughts? And she sort of started explaining it to me. And I sort of realized, oh my God, this is why I was having these thoughts. I thought I was just a masochist thoughts wise that I would just torture myself with these thoughts and just make it worse and worse and worse. And I just can't control it. And ah, so we're approaching the holidays. We watch Streets of London or something like that. Watch this horrible film where I'm not sure if it was a bad film. It's just, I remember the horror as an 11 year old watching this boy hang himself. And then I started getting intrusive thoughts about suicide. So I kept on thinking, what if I killed myself? And I didn't want to, I didn't, I wasn't depressed or anything. I mean, yeah, I was going through a really tough time, but I was still generally a happy person. I wasn't, I wasn't depressed. I, I didn't have the typical thoughts that are associated with being suicidal, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in another video because it's not what you think. But I was just constantly having this thought of, oh my God, what if I just one day went crazy and just took a knife and stabbed myself? Or what if, yeah, what if, what if I hanged myself and like, I was just thinking of my parents and their reactions and like all the people around me and what consequences that would have and how horrible that would be. And I was haunted. Like, you know, when you, you have those thoughts, when you're standing on a high building and you just think about what if I just jumped? Or if you're holding a baby, what if I just dropped it? Like, these are intrusive thoughts and most people can handle them. Most people can just push them away. But a lot of people can't. Not a lot of people. I don't know how many people, but if you have ADHD or OCD or any kind of neurodivergency, it's pretty likely that you struggle more with these thoughts. Also because we have a vivid imagination and we lack emotional regulation. So these things are not a great combination. So... We were in France and literally everywhere I went, I saw something to do with suicide. Like even on the yogurts, we got a pack of yogurts and there was some kind of like cursive writing on them. And then when you break them in half, of course, you only see like little parts of the writing. And there was one that had like this shape of like a little loop. And I was like, oh my God, I can't eat that yogurt because that means I'm going to hang myself. It was intense. And this was also the time when I stopped taking Ritalin. So it got so much worse. Eventually I got over it. The Ritalin absolutely helped starting Ritalin again. And I think it was since then when I was like, nope, I do not need to stop taking Ritalin during the holidays. It's not harming me. These thoughts are harming me so much more than this pill will. I still sort of get triggered by mentions of suicide. There was a time in Glasgow when I was having suicidal tendencies, but it felt very, very different. But in general, when people talk about suicide or I see it ugh, once in school, in uni, we had this teacher that thought it would be appropriate to show us a film of, it is actually a really good film, but it freaked me the fuck out. 
Um, it was a film that won a prize at Cannes and it was inspired by this one photo. Basically, it starts off with this sort of photo portrait of these three women standing in a line and then it pans around and then you sort of see a lot of people queuing up. P please, this is a big, big trigger warning. Um, if you get triggered by this stuff, just skip ahead a little bit. It pans around and then you see one person after the other being hanged, put, having a bag put over their head and being hanged. I was not prepared for it. And he gave no trigger warnings whatsoever. I went up to him. I was shaking. I was sh I could hardly stand up. I found it hard to breathe. I was basically having a panic attack. I went to my teacher afterwards and I said, hey, look, can you please, please give us trigger warnings in the future? It's 2023. Come on. You should know that you need to give people trigger warnings. And he was like, oh yeah, sure. I guess I could do that. But maybe r remind me again. And I'm like, when? After you've shown us the disturbing images that you just showed us? Just remember. If you can't remember, make a note. Give trigger warnings. Anyway, oh, whole other topic. I was so triggered. I think then, did we even go to watch Blonde afterwards? No, we went to watch The Godfather. Yeah, speak about being triggered. So I was triggered from watching that. And then I think we went straight to the GFT, to the cinema, to watch The Godfather. And I hated every minute of it. I mean, it's it's a great film, I suppose, like filmmaking wise. Anyway, this is why every time when I hear people say that they only take Ritalin when they need it, like during school hours or for an exam or whatever, I, I'm very hesitant and I, I sort of, I like to tell people, hey, why don't you try taking it consistently? Because ADHD does affect every part of our life and why should we only get help for the aspects of ADHD that are related to achievements and accomplishments in school and in work and, you know, in this whole capitalist system. In the end, isn't it important that we're leading a quality life and that we are happy and that we're able to control ourselves and that we are balanced and just sort of at peace? That to me is way more valuable. I would rather, I mean, okay, no, I'm a perfectionist, so I do want to do good in my job, but being able to perform well in my job is not more important to me than, be a, than being able to, having healthy relationships, taking care of myself, being able to go to bed on time, to just get more things done. And all of these things, you know, if you, I mean, yeah, I, I care a lot about performance and all of these things are also going to impact your performance. You know, if you forget to eat all day, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't get good sleeping habits, if you if you struggle maintaining healthy relationships, all these things are going to affect your work life just as much as your personal life. I would never recommend to someone to just take it when they feel like they need it, like when they need to focus, because also your body sort of needs to get used to Ritalin for it to work properly. I mean, of course, Ritalin only works sort of when you take it and then it goes out of your bloodstream. I think it leaves your bloodstream two or three days later, but still, you don't feel the effect anymore. It's it's not something, it's not like sertraline or an antidepressant where you have to 
wean yourself off. So what I wanted to say on alcohol and Ritalin is be careful. I didn't realize this for a long period of time. I used to drink a lot, like a lot, a lot. My mum was a functioning alcoholic. Uh, I think she's approaching one and a half years sober now, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm so proud of her. But back in the days, we would drink a lot. And, you know, all I saw growing up were, well, both of my parents, actually, all I saw was adults drinking every day, drinking quite a significant amount, and that just being normal, and then them going to work the next day. So even already in high school, I started this when I also started going out more and everything. Drinking just became so normal to me. So me and my mum would sometimes go through three bottles of white wine together. And I didn't feel like it was that much. It is. If you're drinking that much, please talk to someone about it because you're worth it. It got particularly bad when I went to London. This was like 2017. I was 19 years old. I did the bartending school, so I learned how to make all the best, tastiest cocktails. Living by myself in a cool little studio flat, I felt so adult. I would drink about four to six cocktails every night, even though I had work the next day. And I was able to get to work. It was really, really difficult to wake up in the morning. And I really struggled with punctuality. Same thing when I came back to Zurich. Although I didn't realize that it was linked to the alcohol, I just thought this is just an ADHD thing or I just didn't sleep enough. I basically thought because I drank so much, I just built up a tolerance. What I didn't realize was Ritalin is a stimulant and alcohol is a sedative. That means they kind of balance each other out. Now, this doesn't mean that you are canceling out the alcohol. No, 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 no. What happens is you feel like it's canceled out because your brain is sort of getting both and it's sort of on a mid-level. So you don't feel drunk, but you are really, really drunk. And I noticed that because when I'd stopped for six months, I felt like I'm getting drunk a lot faster. And I'm like, oh, finally, my tolerance has sort of evened out a little bit because I've been drinking less and this feels more normal. And then when I started Ritalin again, I went out with a friend and she was getting really, really drunk, but I could just drink one drink after the other and I still felt sober. I knew this information before, but then it really sort of made sense in my brain. Oh, this is why I can drink so much. And this is really dangerous because if you're not drunk, you feel like you can drink more and more and more. And that's how you get alcohol poisoning. And this is not to be taken lightly. You can die from alcohol poisoning. So please be careful. So that's probably the only days, I mean, obviously some, some days I'll just forget to take it, but if I know that I'm going to be doing some heavy drinking and it's on a weekend, so I, I don't have to work before, I might decide not to take Ritalin just to make sure that I don't overdo it. Ritalin has been so demonized in so many different ways because first of all, of course, the pharma industry is really villainized. Um, I mean, fair to a certain degree, yes, but a lot of people make it out to be like Novartis and the pharma industry is literally just inventing drugs to make money. And people are saying that doctors are pushing these diagnoses onto kids so that they can sell more drugs. <sighs> I'm sure that might exist, but that is definitely not the majority. Actually, I've made the experience that doctors are very, very hesitant to give you a diagnosis 
and to give you Ritalin. Then again, I live in Europe. I don't know what it's like in America, but even there, I'm pretty sure I do have quite a few American friends and I don't think that doctors are trying to push medication on you. So that's a myth. That's just people going crazy and trying to villainize everything and everyone. I actually had the experience that even though I've been taking it for so many years, when I was living in London, for example, it was really hard for me to get Ritalin. I went to the doctor and he said, oh, I don't have any adult ADHD patients that still take Ritalin. That's just a drug for kids. No, it's not. It really is not. And I even went to my Swiss doctor and asked her to give me a little note to say, hey, Sophia still needs Ritalin, even though she's in a different country, please prescribe it to her. Yeah, no, I think I, I sent them my my documents of my ADHD diagnosis, but they were in German. So they were like, we need a verified English translation to make sure it's all correct or whatever. And eventually he gave me Ritalin just because he wanted to shut me up. Basically, I kept going to him like, look here, I'm giving you all the stuff. Please just give me Ritalin. Because also there was a phase in London when I stopped taking Ritalin. I was just trying it out. And in London was when I did my driver's license and it was about the time when I kept going through red lights that I realized, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to start taking Ritalin again because it's dangerous. Because, you know, people with ADHD have a lower life expectancy because we're more likely to get into accidents because of our distractibility, impulsivity, and we sometimes miss important details like that. Like, we'll miss important steps and in instruction manuals. We miss red lights, we don't see another car coming, we're just so in our own world sometimes that we'll just cross the street without looking, without thinking, stuff like that. I mean, that's just one aspect related to streets and cars. You know, there's so many other reasons why we have lower life expectancy. And it's especially lower for people who are undiagnosed and untreated. And by treatment, I don't just mean Ritalin. I really do mean any form of treatment, like therapy, research, understanding how you work, understanding your habits in life and how they affect your health and so on and so forth. So Ritalin has really saved me in many different ways. It helped me get through high school. I just barely made it through. We have this point system and my marks would always just be like slightly under. And because my teachers saw that I was really, really trying, one teacher or the other would always, they could sort of take turns saying like, okay, I'm maybe going to give her half a mark higher just to like save her and get her through because it, it's always this close. Yeah. So that's how I got through high school. And just throughout my entire life, I've made the experience that I'm so much more in control of my life when I take Ritalin than when I'm not taking it in so many different aspects. Also weight gain wise. So Whenever I forget to take Ritalin, I will eat and drink everything in sight. I am just constantly craving and craving. And this happens because actually Ritalin suppresses your appetite. And then when you don't have it, suddenly you're not used to that anymore. And then suddenly your body goes in overdrive. That's why also often ADHDers who take Ritalin don't eat throughout the entire day. And then when the Ritalin wears off at night, they will just eat everything and compensate. This also happens because we forget to eat, but yeah, it's a bit of a mix of both. Actually, 
Ritalin was invented, according to a rough Google search, Ritalin was invented in 1944. What I know from a documentary that I saw, which I can't remember, I'll try to find it again and link it below or in the show notes. Um, it was originally invented by a doctor who wanted to give his wife Rita, hence Rita Lean, wanted to give his wife Rita a weight loss pill. So actually, he was trying to make a pill that would higher your metabolism and help you lose weight. I don't know how they then realized, oh wait, this actually helps people with ADHD <laughs> and to focus better. And then it sort of got remarketed. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, I think it's actually longer ago. Yeah, it was marketed in 1954 as Ritalin. This is WebMD, by the way. Um, but what I was told by therapists back in the days is that Ritalin has been used, or a form of Ritalin has been used for over a hundred years, I thought. It was also used in the war to make soldiers concentrate better, which is kind of macabre, like focus on killing people. <laughs> but yeah, so it makes sense that you lose, you might lose weight when you take Ritalin. And I saw that really strongly. I mean, it's also kind of linked to every time I lived in the UK, my weight would go way up. So I've actually tracked my weight throughout the years since 2015. So basically my weight went from when I was a teenager, my weight was around like 70 kilos. And then I went to London and it spiked up. It went like 15 kilos up. I was around 85, 86. This was linked to a lot of things. Also being in the UK, just being in the UK makes me gain weight. I've heard so many people say this. So many, like two of my friends who've also lived in the UK reported the exact same thing. Even a doctor I spoke to said he once worked in the UK and within a week he put on like eight kilos or something. But yeah, even though I was going to the gym and everything, there's something they put in the food. It's just, I don't know. Um, and there's just so much more junk food around. And also Uber Eats is just so much more accessible in the UK. So I would order a lot of junk food. Also, I worked in a bar which also served pizzas. So I'd get a lot of free pizzas. It's a whole thing. But it was also probably linked to I wasn't taking Ritalin. Then I go back to Switzerland. I lose a lot of the weight again. Then I move to Scotland and I keep gaining, gaining, gaining weight. By the end, I was around like 95 kilos. So this is like 25 kilos more than I was in high school. And yeah, naturally our bodies change. When I stopped taking Ritalin last year, I gained like 10 kilos within like half a year. And then when I started again, it dropped down. So at the moment I'm around 85 kilograms, which feels a lot healthier for me. It's, I know that I'm, I'm always going to weigh a little bit more than average and that's okay. That's not unhealthy. Um, I'll talk about body dysmorphia in another video as well, because that's a big issue for me. That's what I wanted to say on weight. I was talking about Ritalin being demonized. Yeah, a lot of people also just don't like the idea of giving drugs to children that are sort of psychiatric drugs because they think, oh, it changes your brain. And I do remember when I was a kid, my friends would come to me and would be like, oh, but you're boring when you take Ritalin. And at the time that made me want to not take it. I was really sad that my friends thought I was boring. And yeah, I probably was in the sense that when I don't take Ritalin, I'm all over the place and I'm 
so creative. I'm still creative, even with Ritalin. I'm in a creative field. I'm, I'm a filmmaker and I do music and I do design and everything. And I'm still very creative, but just in a different way. When I don't take Ritalin, I'm just like, the most random stuff just comes to mind. And, but I can't filter it. I can't get anything done. And of course, also when I wasn't taking Ritalin, I'd be a lot more excitable and I'd also be more uncontrollable so they could tease me and I would give them a lot stronger reaction than when I did take Ritalin. So of course, that made it a bit more boring. The fact that people with ADHD react stronger to, for example, teasing and they're just more reactive to any type of input, no matter if it's positive or negative, is also a reason why a lot of kids with ADHD get bullied, which I was, because I felt like I had to react to everything. And that's also a topic for another day. And I find it so sad to think about because I hear a lot of other kids saying like, oh, I feel like it changes me. I had a a student that I tutored, uh, she was like 12 and this was when I just graduated high school, who had ADHD and I strongly suggested to the parents that she should try Ritalin. I'm actually still really embarrassed about that. So if one of you is watching, please know that I'm sorry because I remember saying to her, because I was quite overwhelmed, I've, I don't have any teaching experience and she was such a lovely girl but she struggled to concentrate, of course she did, and would just constantly be doing something else. And somehow I just felt like there's nothing I can do to control her, to get her back to focus. And I said, look, if, if you're not willing to try Ritalin at least, I don't know if this is still going to make sense. I'm not sure if I can still continue teaching you. I regret saying that so, so much because I never, ever want that Anyone feels pressured to take medication. And just because it worked for me doesn't mean that it works for her. And I saw her sort of go into shame mode. And oh, that's so horrible. The last thing that someone with ADHD needs is more shame. We get enough of that as is. And the fact that I was shaming her for just being herself, I I should probably write to her and apologize. But basically what happened afterwards is... Um, I think the next time I went over there, the mother said, hey, come and have breakfast with us and we'd have a little chat. And she was so nice about it. Her response was, you're a little bit of a drama queen, aren't you? And I can't remember if I apologized then or not. I, th I think I must have. I, th I think I probably said something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, I do think it really would be valuable for her to try it. Um, but of course, I'm going to still continue teaching her. I just sort of lost my temper a little bit. Not my, not lost my temper, just sort of, I just sort of felt desperate in that moment. Um, they did try Ritalin. And uh, I think she stopped taking it because she said that it made her different. And I think she even said that her friends also told her that she's just, diff like her friends noticed a change and she didn't like that. So she stopped taking it again. And I think that that's also so unfair just because our friends don't get the same amount of enjoyment out of our misery in a way. Like, it's not always misery. Of course, it's also nice to be so excited about so many things, but it's also horrible to feel so devastated about the bad things. And the fact that our friends don't get the entertainment value out of us anymore 
because we are now able to control ourselves better, that's not very supportive. And of course, these friends, like, they're kids. They they don't understand that concept and how harmful it could be. And of course, ADHD people, we're also people pleasers. We have rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That means we want to be liked by other people. And <laughs> it's sort of like, you can never win because if you don't take Ritalin, you're entertaining, but also your bad sides will come out and people don't really like to see those and they don't associate it with ADHD. So they'll just blame you for being a bad human being. But then if you do take it, they think you're boring. Although you are more able now to have healthy relationships. It's a paradox. Um, it's a balance of both, I think. Finding the right dose. Finding what you were comfortable with trying out different things. That's something I want to say about Ritalin changing you because I'm writing with an old friend of mine. She's now a teacher and we started talking about ADHD, which I think is so great because I wish more teachers in our generation would have been as curious about ADHD as she is. And, you know, she always asks me for advice every now and again and telling me her experience with her kids who have ADHD, like her kids in her class, of course. So she was considering suggesting to one of her students that they try Ritalin. And she said, oh, she remembers quite a few years ago, we were both working on this film shoot. Well, we were extras in one of our friends, mutual friends' film shoots. And at the time I was just making my first ADHD film, Rollercoaster Through the Clouds. So I was thinking and talking about ADHD a lot. This is like when that whole thing started. And she told me that she remembers that I, at the time, said that I wished that I hadn't started Ritalin that young and that I regretted it. And I can't remember ever saying that. And what I then told to her, this was a voice message conversation. What I said then is what I think I must have said at the time was that I kind of am curious what I would be like as a person, what my personality would be like if I hadn't started Ritalin when I was eight years old. Because starting that young, of course, means that my normal was on Ritalin, was on medication. So I didn't really know what my life would look like if I wasn't on medication. Like if I was pure of any kind of output influence, which is never the case. Like whatever you do in your life, everything always influences you. I mean, being bullied influences you, your family life, like any little thing can influence your personality. So, but still at the time I was probably just wondering, huh, would I be more creative? Would I be more reckless? Like, would I enjoy being that way more? Because at the time, whenever I forgot to take Ritalin, I would feel really uncomfortable. I'd feel like all these symptoms that I usually don't have to deal with as much are suddenly really, really strong. But that's also because, you know, if you just forget it for one day, your body isn't normalized yet. If you stop taking Ritalin for a longer period of time, like six months, it does sort of stabilize a little more. But then just coming off it one day, everything will sort of feel more intense. It's like, you know, when you have your eyes shut for a long time, then you go, or you're in the dark for a long time and then go out into the light. Your eyes are just like, oh my God, no, leave me alone. It's so bright. But then you get used to it. Um, 
So yeah, that's probably what I meant is that I was curious, but I'm still so, so, so grateful that I was able to take Ritalin from a young age because also taking Ritalin so early and sticking with it means that I was capable of learning how to deal with it. I mean, there, is, there are a lot of different things that can help with ADHD. One of them being, of course, finding strategies that work for you. And if you don't take Ritalin, it's going to be a lot harder to implement these strategies, to stick to them over a longer period of time. So you're probably going to get fed up, give up, and the older you get, you are probably going to resort to more destructive forms of self-medication. So for example, energy drinks as stimulating, or then substance abuse, alcoholism, always trying to find the next thrill, having a lot of drama in your life, being in toxic relationships, because all of that, our brain would rather have negative stimulation than no stimulation at all. Obviously we want positive stimulation, but if we can't get that, our brain will go look for, and this is a conscious thing, so don't tell an ADHD person you're doing it on purpose, because we're not. We uh, Most people don't even realize that this is happening, but we will seek out anything that's sort of exciting. And, you know, I still do that, even though I've been taking Ritalin for such a long time, but just imagine how much worse it would be if I hadn't, if I hadn't informed myself about ADHD. I still feel like I struggle a lot with a lot of the symptoms, but I am so, so, so fortunate that my parents had such a relaxed, liberal approach to it. Of course, they were a little bit worried, like, oh, what are we giving our kid here? I think they they probably weren't thrilled about the idea. Then they realized how much better I got, how much happier I was, how much better I was doing in school. My handwriting improved. There's a scene that I that I filmed in Roller Coaster, which I don't think people actually realize it. But what I tried to show in the scene when she first takes Ritalin is she starts doing her homework. The main character, like little me, it's quite auto-fictional. So she starts writing and at first like her handwriting's really bad. She keeps crossing out words. And then with time, her writing would always get better and better and it she would make less mistakes. And this is exactly what my mother noticed. I would often do homework in the morning before school because of course I forgot to do it the day before or I didn't want to do it the day before. And you could actually see the transition of the Ritalin starting to work. Yeah, it it definitely improved a lot of parts of my life. So I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course, I'm still curious what I'd be like, but now I had this phase in Scotland where, where I didn't take Ritalin for six months. And yeah, I... Okay, creativity. I would say that I'm a bit more creative when I don't take Ritalin, but I don't want that to scare you off of taking Ritalin because you think that it will suppress your creativity. It won't. And the thing is that even though I might feel slightly more creative, I lack the executive function to actually turn it into something tangible, to actually use the creativity and channel it into my work or anything. And right now I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I'm taking a lower dose, meaning I'm not, this is an analogy that I hear so often of that Ritalin just makes you into a working robot, that it's just capitalism that wants you to be the best, the most productive working force 
just their little pawn in their little capitalist game and they just want you to perform and be efficient and if you can't perform and be efficient here take a drug and then you can work better and make us more money I okay maybe a tiny little bit but not I mean I work in the creative industry so I don't really feel that as much I don't feel like my boss just wants me to work and work and work and work but it might look differently in the business sector in whatever other sector. But I really struggle with that analogies because a lot of people associate that feeling that you get when you take Ritalin, it sort of makes you feel more calm and it does sort of bring everything like a notch down. And a lot of people now associate that with, oh, it's just turning me into a robot. I don't feel that way. I've been taking Ritalin for so long and I never feel like a robot. It's just that when we're not taking it, we are so all over the place that it makes us feel when we do finally experience that calm, we're not used to it. So it's like, this is so boring. Like, this is not what my life usually looks like. Look, bottom line is, try it, see what it does for you. And if it doesn't work, stop taking it or try a different form or try adjusting the dose. No one is forcing you to take it. I, I hope no one's forcing you to take it. And no one is blaming you for not taking it, but just for yourself. There's no harm that's going to come from trying it. There's really not. I would recommend if you try Ritalin, do give it a few months, if not at the very least a few weeks to see what it's doing and try and inform yourself as much as possible about it. Because I know a lot of people that take Ritalin don't know that much about it themselves. Talk to someone who's who's skilled and who has a lot of experience with Ritalin and maybe try getting second opinions as well because there are so many doctors that have a very limited view on Ritalin. And I probably even say I've never gone to an ADHD coach, but probably they are the better bet than doctors or even psychiatrists because I was just listening to a podcast today and apparently in psychiatric school, this is this is an American podcast, I believe. Um, even in psychiatric school, they only look at ADHD for one hour. One hour. I'm not sure if this is every psychiatric school. They were just mentioning that in this podcast. So yeah, they need to know so many different things. They're not specialized in it. So find someone who's specialized and has a kind of holistic overall view of ADHD and Ritalin that isn't, as soon as you can tell that they're really driven to like one extreme side or the other extreme side, you probably go find someone else. Find someone who can see the bigger picture. And don't be afraid of it. Don't think that this is society tr making you take it because they're really not. They're actually, if at all, they're preventing you from taking it. The amount of times that I've told people that I take Ritalin and they were like, why would you do that to yourself? And why don't you just accept who you are? And why shouldn't, why can't society just adapt to you? I'm like, because it's, it doesn't work that way. And Ritalin has helped me in so many different ways. I am so, so, so grateful that I have access to medication. And I know that this goes, this is the same for so many of my other ADHD friends and people that I watch or read or listen to online. So if you've been in the category of demonizing Ritalin before, I encourage you to maybe keep an open mind. 
Um, let me know what you think. Let me know of myths that you've heard, questions that you have about Ritalin, and I will try and answer them to the best of my knowledge. One more thing that I want to mention before I go is the effect that media has on our view of Ritalin. I actually wrote a whole paper on representation of ADHD and Ritalin in film and television for my final uni bachelor dissertation, and it's pretty extreme, the results that I found. It's really, really interesting. And I'm just going to predict to the future that I'm going to make a video about it. So here it is. Wait. Here it is or here it is? One of these sides, there's going to be a video of me talking about representation of ADHD and Ritalin in film and television. So go check that out to learn more. Ooh, wait. Let me say that again. Where was I? What was I gonna say? Wait, I wanna look this up. Anyway, oh god, I've already been talking for 24 minutes. No, okay, wait, I'll, uh, I'll make a note of it and I'll talk about it later. Pardon me. Wait. Oh, shit.